Hey, morning everyone. It's great to see. What a crowd. I was seeing this morning driving in and all that rain. Well, this is the day to stay at home and we welcome those who are still at home. But it's good to see us slowly gathering. Good news, 300 of us can gather. We've got room enough with the latest changes. It's good to be here. I don't know if you've happened to you much, but just this last week, two different occasions, I had one of those moments with my phone. Yeah, I have a list of people in my contacts, and so when I don't ever remember a phone number now, I just go to the contacts. So I rang this number, and I thought I was ringing one friend, but actually the voice that answered it was not who I was expecting. And you know, then you've got to play that game for a couple of minutes, like, I really did mean to ring you, but I haven't got a clue who you are, and so I'm going to just talk for a while and see if I can put the bits together. See, what had happened, one friend had worked for the same organisation as this friend. They'd given the second friend the number of the first friend when he left. I was trying to ring the first friend, got the second friend. Fortunately, I think, but I'm not sure, because he's a very nice person, he wouldn't have said to me, Keith, you know who you're ringing? So I finally covered the ground okay, I think. But then it was turned the other way. I got a phone call on a number I didn't recognise, and I don't always take those, I let them go through to voicemail. But I thought, oh, I'll take this one. And so there was a, a lovely lady on the other end, and I didn't have a clue who she was, or why she was actually ringing me. Now, she wasn't trying to sell me anything, it turned out. In fact, she was the secretary of one of our local parliamentarians, who I'd rung to talk about an issue. And, but once she finally declared who she was, that changed the conversation. I guess the thing I'm wanting to say is often our conversation depends upon who we're talking to and how will we know that person. And so this morning in our series, in this uh, third series, in this 40 days of prayer, we come to this issue of who are you talking to? We had that scripture reading where Jesus' disciples say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, right, pray this way. Father, I wonder when that was read... If we could pause there for a moment, what was the image you had? When we hear the word God the Father, what, 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 even if we could do it right now and stop right now and say, okay, here, what's the picture? What's the feeling? What's the emotion when we hear that word Father? Because when you think about it, there's a lot of odd perceptions about who God is. But see, those odd perceptions about who God is impacts how we pray. And our sense of who God the Father is for us will impact how we pray. Whether we pray out of duty, well, Father, man, Father is one who demands things out of me. So I've got to be regimented in this. I've got to tidy my room. I've got to do mow the lawn and I've got to pray. You know that sense of who is God for you, the Father? When I was growing up, one of the things that was often said in my family of origin was, when you fell over or you scraped your knee or you bumped something, well, you must have done something bad. God is punishing you. Now, it was just a little saying, but you know, as an adult, I've begun to reflect on that a bit longer. What does that say about the nature of God? What, what, is, what is the underlying message then? That God is a punisher. God is waiting for us to make a mistake. God is just that sort of a God. Well, the other alternative, of course, is the picture of Father. And so we have this lovely picture of this older man with a long flowing beard and generally confused with Santa Claus. So my God is a God who gives me things that I want, provided I'm good. 
So the messages, and you know, I know they're kids, they're kids' images, aren't they? But let's be honest about it. For many of us, we'll carry some of those images because we've not begun to unpackage them and compare them against the very nature of God. Now, what the scripture tells us, of course, is God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is all-loving. And this morning, in these few brief moments, what I want to suggest to us is that our understanding of who God is impacts who we are. You understand what God is really... It shapes everything from now on, including prayer. This is what Tozer said, if you have a look on the screen. He says this. He was a great commentator, a great devotional writer. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything in your life. Wow. Really? Well, yes. Yes. And the kids' talk done so well today, thanks, Joe, illustrates that, doesn't it? We think about God... What, 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 what comes to mind? And how does that for affect who I am? And more importantly in this series, how does it affect how I pray? I say to myself when I'm praying, I try now have an image in my head of who I'm actually praying to. Just like on the phone when my friend answers, I finally got the right picture with the right voice, with the right intonation. That's a friend I really care about. And I'm sorry I'm mistaken, but then we went on and had a really good long conversation, even though I wasn't ringing him at all. Who is your God? How do you perceive that God? What are the pictures in your head? Because that will affect whether my prayer is a prayer of duty, a prayer of compulsion, a prayer of having to do, or is my prayer something I want to do? It, it's, a, it's a relief. It's a joy. Because I know about the nature of God. And the thing about the nature of God I want to concentrate on this morning is this sense of God is good. <clears throat> we can say lots of other things this morning. But there's something about the goodness of God. I mean, it was well picked up by Joe in that, in that story about the sense of here is a God who knows us individually, cares for us, loves us. Because the nature of God I want to emphasize this morning is the nature of God's goodness. God is always good. Well, let's have a look at what that looks like in a couple of instances. For, but I just want to talk about four things briefly, if my voice lasts long enough. <clears throat> Not sure what's happening there. God's plan for our life, and your life and my life, is always good. Do you believe that true? <laughs> yep, it is true. Yeah, here's a lovely verse from Jeremiah. Look at this verse. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And many of you will go, oh, I know that verse, because that's one of my favourite verses. God says, I know what I plan for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you a hope and a good future. And when you call to me and you pray, I will listen to you. <laughs> See a lovely connection between God's goodness and our prayer. My prayerfulness, I'm praying. Who too? I'm praying to a God who's good. I know, Amanda, that, that verse has become a critical verse in our family, and particularly for Marilyn, my wife. When we left this church some number of years ago and went to Melbourne, it was very clear what I was going to. This privilege of being involved in cross-cultural mission and leadership in that. Marilyn left all of here, her teaching role, her involvement in the life of this church, and she didn't know what she was going to. But God kept giving her this verse. The plans I have for you are good plans. And we would say, well, Lord, what are those plans? What's the clarity of those plans? The first year in Melbourne was very hard for Marilyn. I was travelling a lot 
uh, her career had changed enormously. It was like a black hole. And in the middle of that, God kept saying to her this verse, my plans I have for you. Well, subsequently, of course, Marilyn changed her teaching career, went and began a diploma, a graduate diploma in counselling and went on to do a master's and now is heavily still involved in that as a psychotherapist. But we go back to that, to that year. It was like, Lord, we can't see where the good plan is. We can't see any of this. And yet here was this constant repetition. I know that what I plan for you, I have good plans for you. You know, it's, there's, there's something that's just overwhelmingly powerful about this, isn't it? Here is the God of all creation who says to you and to me, I have good plans for you. Wow. I just want to stop almost and say thank you because I want to testify now over a long period of following Jesus, we have found that to be true and true and true. Doesn't mean it always happens immediately, but we'll come to that in a moment. And then you see, here's this lovely, well, Romans, look at Romans 8.28. Many of us will know it well. I know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Yeah, this verse for me has been a powerful verse over many years now because what I've come to do is, in many hard places, and we've been in them both individually and collectively as church over a period of time, I say, Lord, where is the good in this? Help me see. What I'm seeing at the moment is not very good. I'm seeing pain, I'm seeing grief, I'm seeing dislocation. Lord, where is the good? And, of course, here's the, the modifier in here, isn't it? You see, this is not a promise everything's going to be good everywhere all the time. Here's the modifier is for those who are called according to his purposes. So when I get it right, when I get the balance right, when I say, Lord, you are sovereign God, I'm going to seek to follow you and I'm going to follow your plan, not the one I've constructed myself or what others have constructed for me. I'm going to do this then. Then, Lord, I'm looking for the good Show me the good, because you are a good God. We know that God causes everything to work together for those who are called according to his purposes. There's probably not a better illustration than that than the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. This favoured son gets the multicoloured coat, probably sadly, it's a bit egocentric, and shows it off to his older brothers who are struggling with the fact that he's a father's favourite anyway. You know the story well. So his brothers kidnap him, sell him on to Egypt. He ends up you know, in jail after being uh, tempted by Potiphar's wife. People in jail let him down after he tells them their dreams, and they say, we'll tell, but they don't. And so he languishes in jail until he finally is released. And then, of course, because he can tell the dream to the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh believes him because God has inspired Joseph to be able to interpret that dream, then Joseph comes to a position of considerable power in the life of that great nation. And then, of course, there's the famine and his brothers come back to get food. And then when he meets with them, I love this verse. What does he say? He says, your plan, your plan was to hurt me, but God turned your evil plan into a good plan to save the lives of many people. Sometimes we don't immediately see the good because the good actually is what we would call redemptive suffering. Sometimes the hard place of suffering is because it's good for other people as well. So for Joseph, as he trials through that period, he can look back and say, I see now, God. 
If that hadn't happened, if my brothers hadn't sold me to slavery, I wouldn't have got to Egypt. I then wouldn't have got to the place where now I can be a redeemer for people. I can help people, lift them out of their problems. God is a good God. And sometimes our suffering is actually for the benefit of others. Because that's exactly, of course, what our good shepherd did for us. And see, that's the second thing I want to come to now. God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. <laughs> oh, thank goodness you might say. <laughs> I'm getting, I get what I need, not what I deserve. There's probably no better example of that than David. And so here's a couple of David's reflections in the Psalms. Psalm 103 says, He has not treated us as we deserve. He has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm getting the evidence of a, a long-suffering, forgiving, restoring God who loves us, knows our fragility and our failure, knows our weakness, even at this very moment as we gather here today. He knows because he knows all things about us. And yet, here is the wonder of it. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we need. Again, uh, David, who you'll know some of his story, of course, this, this king who commits adultery to cover it up. He commits murder. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the list is almost, well, not unbelievable because we see a fair bit of that around us in our worlds today. But nonetheless, here is a person who has the heart of God as it were, walks with God and yet behaves in that way. And what does God do? Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. God, in your goodness, have mercy on me. In a sense, not because I deserve it, but because you're a good God. Have mercy on me. Wash away all my guilt. Make me clean again, for my sin cleanse me. Why should you do that, God? I don't deserve it. I do it because God forgives. Not because we're good, but because he's good. And that's the lovely thing. It, it's, it's just counterintuitive to the kind of world that, that we grow in, that we live in, that we work and think in. It's so counterintuitive that here is a God who doesn't depend on us to be good, to affirm us, but because we're not good, <laughs> he reaches out to us, affirms us, loves us, calls us. <laughs> Psalm 27 Verses 10 to 13. Even if my father and mother abandoned me. <laughs> I don't know, just this week, a tragic tale about a young indigenous kid who's abandoned at four years of age, four days of age, and then the history of what subsequently happened to him. Is it any wonder? Is any wonder in terms of what he's gone through and how he's been abandoned by not only his birth parents, by other people who along the way have in some way accepted responsibility to try and bring him, to, to grow him. Abandonment. That horrible sense of no connectedness. I don't know who I am. Even if my father and mother abandoned me, <laughs> you're no longer my son yeah, get out of my life I don't want to ever see you again you've done too much to hurt me or whatever even if my mother and father abandon me the Lord will hold me close man I, for some of us in this room that has been just so important hasn't it 
sense of some of our family of origin stuff where we have felt unloved, <laughs> dismissed, and our life experience has, has indicated that. And yet here, here is the goodness of God. Here's the wonder of God's love, isn't it? I, I yet almost swept away by the power of that. When others will reject me and deny me and abandon me. And maybe some of that for good reason in the way I've behaved or the way you've behaved. But here we see this nature of God. God will hold me close. God will sustain me. God will keep me. <laughs> wow. Who are you praying to? <laughs> I'm praying to a father. This is Keith, in spite of what you've done, in spite of who you are, I love you. So come. Come and tell me what's on your heart. Come and listen to what I've got to say to you. Come and explore the plan I have for you. Come. Come. In a sense, come home. <laughs> and why can we do that? Because look what the writer of the Hebrews says in chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. Talking about Jesus, he understands our weaknesses. In fact, God knows our weakness better than you. He knows. He knows we have a high priest. We have a priest who knows, who's been tempted, just like we're tempted. You know, sometimes you kind of share things with people and they've got no idea, have they? They have not in any way experienced the life journey I've had. And while I appreciate their empathy, they really can't empathise. We have a high priest who can empathise, who knows, who understands, who hears our, our cry of pain. And you see, this is emphasised so much in the third point when we come to this whole nature of who is this God? What about his goodness? God puts my good above his own. Now you have to think, think about that for a moment. God puts my good above his own. Really? Oh yes, and it could have been better illustrated for them from our children's story this morning about the good shepherd. What does that good shepherd do? John 10, 14 and 15... I am a good shepherd. I know my sheep, they know me, and I sacrifice my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, who would lay down their life for a sheep? I mean, I suspect, as we saw in the kids' talk, that some of those Middle Eastern shepherds will go out of their way to protect their sheep. But would they actually lay down their life intentionally for the sheep? Well, what's going to happen to the other sheep if they do that? Unlikely. See, here, here's, this is just not realistic, is it? And here is Jesus' statement to you and to me. <laughs> I lay down my life for you. John 15, 13, the greatest love you have is to give your life for others. Epitomised by this cross that we have here on the stage. We look at a cross, whether it's a cross around our necks or a red cross or a cross on a building, but it's a perpetual statement about someone giving their life for others. Here's the perpetual statement about the love of God for you and for me, even though at times the cross is abused and things are done in the name of the cross which have nothing to do with God at all or his intent. 
but the cross, the symbol of God putting my good above his own, of giving up something so precious that we might be redeemed and brought back. This is the God who we pray to. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and verse 32, Since God did not spare his own son, but gave Christ up for us all, will he not give us everything that we need? Now, sure, there's caveats in that, and we can have a look at that in a moment, but here is this great sense of it's what I need according to what he knows I need as opposed to what I think I want. But here's the lovely thing again. Since God did not spare even his own son. I think for us in the room who are parents and the thought of seeing one of our children given up in a way, it beggars belief, doesn't it? Beggars belief. How could that be? What does it say about the nature of a parent who loves others so much? That's the God. And then finally and fourthly, Here's the goodness of God. <laughs> goodness of God is the fact he does not say yes to every request. <laughs> and I am so grateful that many of my prayers have remained firmly unanswered and no. Because <laughs> they were not going to be good for me or for the people I was praying for with. See, here's a, a short kind of memory in a, in a way of it. God answers every single prayer he does, but there's four ways. One way is where he says, no, it's not good for you. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get that. Secondly, it might be God saying, go slow. It's not time yet. You're going to have to wait for my timing on this issue. What you're praying for isn't wrong, but it is just not the right time. No, slow. Sometimes, of course, the prayer means we're just going to have to, the waiting on the prayer means we just have to grow. You're going to have to grow in increased trust in God. I'm just going to have to, to grow in this situation. The, the, the situation, in fact, is not pleasant, but it's really important for me. Because at the end of the day, God's more concerned about my character than he is about the condition I'm in. And while I'm very concerned about my comfort, God is less concerned about my comfort and more concerned about my character. And so sometimes it's a case of, yeah. It's a hard place, it's not a pleasant place, but it's a good place for you to learn to grow. And finally, God says, yes, go. <laughs> no, slow, grow, go. See, Luke says it so well, or Jesus says as Luke records it for us in chapter 11, verses 11 to 13. Your fathers, if your children ask for a fish to eat, would you give them a snake instead? Well, if they ask for an egg... Would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So would we expect our Heavenly Father, who is profoundly good, in fact, the source of all goodness, would we expect him to give us things that are not good for us? So oftentimes our prayers are very firmly knows because God knows this is not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for us. So no. Because sometimes we really don't know what we're asking for, and that was true of uh, John and James's mother. You know that record, you know, which is recorded uh, in the scriptures in Matthew twenty twenty two, 
we're, you know, the, we're getting to the end of Jesus' public ministry and so the question is what's going to happen going forward and who's going to be important, who's going to have the positions of power, who's going to be in the front, if you like. And so her, the mother, their mother says to Jesus, hey, remember my sons. And what does Jesus say? He says to them, you don't realise what you're asking for. <laughs> Sometimes I guess that's true for us, isn't it? And God has to say, do you really know what you're asking? Do you really know what that's going to mean? Do you know what the outcome of that will be? I'm a father. I'm a father full of goodness. I am going to say no. Be careful what you pray for. As I said earlier, I thank God now for some of my prayers have remained firmly unanswered with a strong no. And I'm grateful for it now as I look back over that experience. But that doesn't mean there's not things we're still praying for that I'm still praying for. And I've been praying for them now for over 50 years, for members of extended family and for others. Lord, have your way in their lives. Lord, bring them to the place of them understanding your graciousness, your goodness, your love. Help them understand that you gave up your goodness for the sake of them. Show them. And I'll keep praying that and praying it. You see, because we have to come to understand at times that God's ways are so different to our ways, and that's fine. That's fine when you, when you come to the point of understanding the wonder of this God who loves us and cares for us. Look at Isaiah says, my thoughts are completely different from yours. <laughs> and that's why he doesn't answer the prayer we want. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than from the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. Yep. Yep. I come humbly. Father, you know. Forgive me for my presumption. Forgive me for my arrogance. Forgive me for my ignorance. I'm going to trust you. So, let me ask you. Let's go right back to the beginning then. In your contacts and your phone, what does your God look like? If you ring that number, who are you talking to? What is he like? How do you picture him? How much do we need to maybe go back and re-edit some of our awareness or some of the pictures we have or some of the feelings we have about the nature of our God. Is this the God you know? Who's God of goodness? Who loves you? Wants the best for you and the best for you is more than you can imagine. It's better than what you want. <laughs> Even though we can't see it yet. Is that the God who we're praying to? Because if that's the God who we pray to, then we want to pray. And it stops, in a sense, being the technical word prayer. It just becomes that walk, that fellowship, that, that conversation, the ongoing conversation with our closest, best, purposeful friend ever. Our God, our Father. <laughs> Let me close with this almost benediction in 2 Thessalonians. Our Lord Jesus Christ and the God our Father who loves us, who's given us by his grace an ever-loving encouragement. You see, I love this. Here is, here is Jesus and the Father together purposing for us to give us what? His grace. His grace and an everlasting encouragement. See, this is not just for this moment, for this life experience, for this COVID period. This is for eternity this is for the whole of our lives, not just the life on earth, but the life after earth experience. And whatever that looks like, he is a God who loves us and prepares that for us.
I wonder, do you know that? Do you know that with a confidence that says, whatever the future holds, I know who's on my side. I know who won't abandon me. I know who won't leave me. I know who will never forsake me. And I know that because I've come to understand when Jesus was on that cross, he was there for me. And I don't have to act like I'm good anymore because it's not my goodness that matters, it's God's goodness. And so I don't have to say, look, God, I'm good enough for you. I don't, look at all I do. No, no, no. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And so today, maybe you need to do a re-edit of your perception of God and of his love for you and his invitation to all of us. Come, come. Sons, daughters, come walk with me. Let me pray. Father, <laughs> forgive us that so often we, we are so immature in our awareness of who you are for us. Forgive us that we so often still live back there in the past in concepts or pictures of what you're like. And they're so, in some ways, so wrong, so infantile. Thank you. Thank you you remind us again today that you are our good Father. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, particularly for those of us who, in the journey of life, have not experienced good fathering. We thank you that you are the parent who loves us, who will never desert us, who will never give us up. And we thank you that you provided a way for us to experience that. Lord, in the wonder of your, your grace, by sending Jesus through his death and resurrection, you paid the price for us. You wiped the slate clean. You said, come home, because there's nothing stopping you, Father. I thank you again for all of us in this room and at home for your grace to us. Thank you. Thank you that you are a good, good God, and we live in, because of your experience in goodness. Amen.